0: All right, chapter two. For the rest of the morning, Mrs. Gently acted as if nothing was going on. Not once did she mention the code-breaking, ice skating, or the puzzle sheet. They did geography as normal, and packed up before lunch as normal. James had asked if they could look at the first cryptogram, but she simply told him that it wasn't as important as their usual lessons. As they lined up for lunch, he asked again, this time saying that he'd happily give up his lunchtime to look at the puzzle sheet. "'You'd be happy to give up your lunchtime, perhaps,' Mrs. Gently replied, "'but I'm not going to give up mine for a silly puzzle.' And that was that. And then, during lunch, he found out that the other three year six classes had spent the whole morning looking at the cryptograms. 6R had even solved the first one without a clue. It made James very cross indeed, and he didn't enjoy his lunch at all. What made it even worse was that no one else in his class seemed to care at all, not even Jenny. "'You know I hate ice skating,' she told him in the playground. "'I have to go every year with my sisters as it is, and the thought of going twice is not in any way appealing.' "'But I'm sure they'd let you sit and watch,' James said. "'Besides, I don't even know if I like skating.' i have never been. It's horrible, Jenny screwed her nose up. It's like learning to walk again, only on a surface that is designed to make you slip over. And I hardly think it would be fair to make asthma go. She's from the Middle East. James wanted to point out that Jenny's argument didn't really make any sense, but he was too frustrated to try. He hoped that after lunch he would be able to persuade Mrs. Gently to let him spend at least a few minutes working on the puzzles. His hope was dashed by the end of the day, and he was even more tired, angry, and frustrated. He'd only asked a couple of times, once during art and once during French. The answer was no, and not only that, Mrs. Gently told him he wasn't allowed to ask any more, or she would lock the puzzle sheet in a drawer until after Christmas. It was so unfair. He was in a foul mood as he stomped out into the playground and up the slope to the street. He was about to stomp all the way home when Jenny caught him up and reminded him about going to the park. He wanted to say no, but he knew that looking at the twin elms would at least take his mind off the awful day he'd had, for a short while anyway. Both children lived close enough to the school to be allowed to walk home. Technically, on a Friday, James was supposed to walk straight back at 3.15. But as his mum didn't get home from work until six, he had a fair amount of leeway. Jenny had two older sisters and a younger brother, so her parents didn't really mind what she did, as long as she was back in time for dinner. It was already getting dark when they started the walk down the hill toward Preston Park. Like most other British schoolchildren in December, they were both dressed for cold and unpredictable weather. A fine mist was collecting on the fleece of Jenny's hat, but despite the cold and damp, James was feeling a bit better already. He could feel a small tingle of excitement building within him. It felt like this might be the start of something interesting. After a brisk five-minute walk, they were at the northeast corner of the park. The Twin Elms were on the far side of the cycle track down the hill toward London Road. They went down a set of flint-edged steps and skirted round the green metal fence on the perimeter of the track. There were a few cyclists out, doing laps on road bikes, plus the usual dog walkers and parents and children using the cricket field in the centre of the track. James and Jenny let themselves through the gate and crossed the cycle track. They cut across the cricket field to the far side, climbed the fence and went carefully down a small muddy track in the bushes that led them out onto the main path to the elms. The sun was well below the skyline and it was dark enough to force them to pick their steps carefully. The twin elms were in a small public area, separated from the main park by a low metal fence. Beyond the elms was a high-walled garden, and beyond the garden was Preston Manor. The manor took up most of the north edge of the park and was open to visitors at certain times of the year. As they approached, James could see an orange fence had been put up around one of the elms. From behind, he couldn't tell what was wrong, but as they reached the gap in the fence, it was obvious. A large branch had fallen, wrenching a big V-shaped gap in the side of the tree. Only last summer, James had climbed up into the tree. The main trunk was hollow and over ten feet across, and inside was space enough for a few children to hide. There were two ways in. Climb up about eight feet and let yourself down, or squeeze through a small hole where the trunk met the grass. James had gone in both ways before but now he was big enough that the squeeze was much less comfortable than the climb. Where the branch had fallen, it had pulled away a section of the hollow trunk. Now it would be much easier to get in, but also less secretive for anyone hiding inside. "'It's pretty bad, but not as bad as I thought,' Jenny said, looking at the damage. "'Well, it won't be so much fun to play in any more,' James said, "'especially if they keep it cordoned off.' "'I wonder what happened?' Jenny looked around. None of the other trees are down, and there's not even small branches or leaves scattered around. She was right. If a wind strong enough to rip a branch from the elm had hit the park, there should have been more collateral damage. My dad says that these trees are at least four hundred years old, said James. He said the day after the great storm, he came here with his dad, There were loads of big trees down throughout the park, but these two survived without even losing a branch. The other ones look fine too, Jenny said. I'm getting the idea it might not have been wind that caused this. They walked across the small path to the other elm. It was slightly taller, but its trunk was slightly narrower than the damaged twin. It too was hollow inside, but its trunk had a large gap that you could squeeze into and it had less of a chamber inside, more of a damp crevice to stand in. There was no fence around it. James put his hand on the rough bark and looked through the gap. By now the sun had probably reached the real horizon, and he couldn't see anything except darkness inside the great tree. He suddenly thought about the squiducken key. He had put it safely in his school bag that morning. He swung the bag off his shoulder, unzipped an internal pocket, and pulled the key out it felt cold even through his gloves. It could unlock some interesting places, and he thought perhaps he would use it again soon. And then something caught his eye, from deep inside the tree. Something glinted in the dark, catching the light from a lamppost behind him in the park. He leaned forward, right ear brushing against the damp moss growing on the edge of the trunk. He held his breath and pushed his head closer. Something else touched his face, and he pushed an old, stringy, dangling spiderweb out of his eyes. He blinked, and then the glint was gone. James breathed out and stepped away from the gap. As he did, there was a small cough from inside the tree, and a creature scurried toward him. He moved back quickly at first, then he saw what it was. A hedgehog, a big one, shuffling out into the park, sharp spines swaying left and right as it moved. Jenny, who had wandered back to the damaged elm, walked over and stood by James. Hello, she said, as if talking to animals was completely normal. I hope we didn't disturb you. Just for a fleeting moment, James was going to ask Jenny what kind of answer she expected to get from a hedgehog. Then the thought slipped away from him, and he found that it was a ridiculous prospect not to talk to the animal. I'm sorry if I startled you, he said. I didn't mean to. What? "'said the hedgehog, in a high-pitched, yet somehow gruff-at-the-same-time voice. "'Didn't mean to what? Stick your nose into someone else's business!' "'The hedgehog was all the way out of the tree now, and James could see that as well as the usual spikes and pointed nose, this hedgehog was holding a stick. No, it wasn't a stick. It was more like a medieval pointed weapon with a metal spike on the end, like a tiny pike.' It shook its spines and a dozen or more woodlice were flung off into the damp grass. Now, if you'll get out of my way, I've got a job to get on with. The hedgehog shuffled past them toward the damaged elm.